DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. Hi everyone, on today's podcast, we're going to talk with Liesl Teen from Mommy Labor Nurse about how to prepare for birth in a way that lowers anxiety and reduces the unknowns, hopefully leading to a more positive and empowering experience. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Birth Podcast. My name is Rebecca Decker and I'm a nurse with my PhD and the founder of Evidence-Based Birth. Join me each week as we work together to get evidence-based information into the hands of families and professionals around the world. As a reminder, this information is not medical advice. See ebbirth.com slash disclaimer for more details. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Decker, pronouns she, her, and I will be your host for today's episode. I want to let you know that in this episode, we will be talking about emergency births in the car and gendered language may be used. And now I'd like to introduce our honored guest. Liesl Teen, pronouns she, her, the creator of Mommy Labor Nurse, is a practicing labor and delivery nurse, a birth educator, and a podcaster. As a labor and delivery nurse and mom of two, Liesl has long believed that knowledge is the key to empowering us to give birth without fear and with total confidence. Since starting Mommy Labor Nurse in 2017, Liesl has been able to offer education to so many more families than she ever could in her role as a bedside labor and delivery nurse alone, but she's still a practicing nurse at the bedside. More than anything, Liesl wants folks to know that birth education is for everyone. And Liesl's own positive birth experiences in a hospital setting inspired her to want to support as many hospital-preferred families and moms as possible, leveraging the reach of online platforms. So through Mommy Labor Nurse, Liesl is out there increasing transparency and normalizing positive and empowered birth. We're so excited that Liesl is here today. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Birth Podcast. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know we've chatted before on my podcast, um, but I'm excited to come on to yours. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to talk with you and let our listeners hear your passion for birth education. And you have some really 
fun topics we're going to be talking about in a little bit. But I was wondering if you could start off by telling us like how as a nurse, you know, we're both nurses, you've shifted more towards the childbirth education side and prenatal education. Can you talk a little bit about what made those connections? What led you to shift from mainly working as a labor and delivery nurse to starting the mommy labor nurse platform and educating families? Yeah, I'd love to. So kind of goes back to, you know, where I started Mommy Labor Nurse, but I've always been very attracted to teaching. I think if I didn't go to nursing school, I would have gone and been a teacher because I really just get a lot of fulfillment from seeing that light bulb come on for other people when I'm explaining something. So as a nurse, I really enjoy that part of my job. I've always enjoyed bedside teaching and I loved priests precepting, you know, before I started mommy labor nurse. So I'm a big fan of teaching. And I knew that eventually I would probably do something a little bit more teaching based still within the nursing, you know, still within my nursing career, but kind of thought I would go back to school and become a nursing educator, something like that. But basically, I had my son back in 2017. He's six, almost six and a half, almost seven now, took a three month maternity leave with him, came back about three quarter time, not totally full time, but you know, I love my job as an L&D nurse, but I was longing to, you know, be home with my baby as much as I could. So I just started Googling and kind of seeing, you know, how can I make a little bit of extra income on the side? And, you know, maybe cut a couple of hospital shifts so I can stay home with my baby. And so blogging came up and I was like, oh, wait, this is really cool. I can start a blog and, you know, there's mom blogs and stuff out there, but there's not a whole lot of L&D mom blogs out there. So I'm like, this is this is great. Like this can really be something that I can use to you know, hopefully reach like so many other people than I can just at the bedside and I can do it at home. So, you know, obviously it's, it's grown a lot since then. And I've done a lot of different things, but really that's kind of how I got started into like the teaching education space. And yeah, I mean, I actually am working at the hospital today in a couple hours, I have to go in and do a shift, but I don't like ever see myself at least at this point, leaving bedside totally because it's something that I still truly love is just being able to work with a patient and being present in births and, you know, just having that one-on-one time with patients. But gosh, education, especially when you do it online, can reach so many more people and it can be so beneficial in such a different way. So yeah, it's really been a journey for sure. I know some people get into birth education and birth work from their own experience, whether whether they were negative or positive. I know yeah. you, you mentioned that you had several positive birth experiences. Can you share a little bit about how those experiences like went and how they inspired you to do what you do? Yeah, sure. So my first birth, for sure, I had super empowering, unmedicated birth with him. You know, had been a labor and delivery nurse, I guess, for about two and a half-ish years at that point, and was always very interested in unmedicated birth, especially because working at a hospital, at least the hospital that I work at, you know, it's not 90% of moms that get epidurals, but there's not a whole lot of unmedicated birth just at our hospital. Like, just, you know, a lot of people get epidurals. So I've always just been intrigued by unmedicated birth. So I started to get really interested in it when I was pregnant with Walter, my son. And yeah, I ended up having him and I feel like it really, 
it really changed my practice as a bedside labor and delivery nurse at that point because it's like you can help somebody through the pain, but but once you feel it yourself and you and you experience that uh, experience, you're just able to be a lot more empathetic. Not that I wasn't empathetic before, but you know, you're, you're like, okay, I, I get it. I get it. I get how hard this is. I get how incredible it feels after you're done. And I also get how much I prepped for my own birth and how many people I talked to and how many birth stories I listened to and how excited I was going into my own birth and how that really did impact my birth experience coming out of it. So that's definitely the first one, how that one went. That very much sparked, I'd say, the birth of, you know, mommy labor nurse. My second one still went unmedicated. It wasn't as uh, empowering as the first one, I would say. It was a little bit, I think my expectations were a little higher than they should have been going into that one. But I learned a lot from that birth, too, because I went in and I thought, oh, I've had a baby before. I'm going to you know, come and labor for a couple hours and then have a baby. It's going to be a lot easier than it was the first time. I had a lot of back labor with my first one and it just, I didn't push forever, but it just, it was a hard labor. But my second one, I had still had a lot of back labor. It wasn't as long as the first one, but at the end, his heart rate was dropping. So I was a little bit fearful at the end. And so I felt very like shell-shocked after he was born. Long story short, that one taught me a lot too, but it wasn't as empowering as the first one for sure. So did you feel like with the second one, your expectations were, I've done this before, so it'll be easier this time instead of this is going to be hard. I need to prepare for it just as much as the first one. I think I bet on myself too much. Yeah, I think, you know, I had mommy labor nurse at this point already, and I had put out my birth classes and you know, I was telling myself all the same things that I tell my patients, but I think maybe I thought I knew it too well in my head. Um, and I, yeah, I'm like, I did this before. I can do it again. I don't have to, but it's like, no, I probably should have done a little bit more prep, even though I have my own darn birth classes. Like you still gotta really practice. get into it. Pra- yeah. Exactly. Practice what you preach. Yeah, I think it's true, especially for unmedicated births. A lot of the strategies that you're using are positioning, but also mental, you know, mental, a hundred percent and the being able to physically relax your body through an intense process. And if you're not actively working on it, it can, it can definitely hit you a lot harder when you yeah. get into labor. Oh yeah. And it's funny. Cause I tell my patients this and I tell, you know, all of my people this, like, it's so mental. You got to relax, you know, your body. That's so important. All of this stuff. And then when I go into my own birth, it's like, oh, wait a second. Oh yeah, you're right. I do have to do this. And this would make it a lot easier. I did. I would say one thing I did was my husband, I prepped a lot better this second time. And his experience was a lot more positive than the first go around because he was, I thought I'll prep myself and I'll be good. Cause I'm the one giving birth, right? Okay. My husband, whatever. The nurses will take care of him. He's fine. But he was very, very just like, oh my gosh, it's really hard to watch somebody that I care so much about in an extreme amount of pain. And I don't know what to do to help you. And this is, you know, horrible. And so the second time around, I did a lot better job of just educating him. Uh, So his, his experience was definitely way more positive, I Mm -hmm. would say because of that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. 
And tell us a little bit before we get into like what you're going to teach us about, tell us a little bit about mommy labor nurse, you know, what's the name of your podcast? What's your audience like? What are you educating people on? Yeah. So I am over at the mommy labor nurse podcast. Very easy to remember, (laughs) Um, but the mommy labor nurse podcast, that's where I am on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all of the social medias and stuff. But yeah, we're really based in patient education. There are a lot of L&D based accounts who they go towards birth workers or they go towards patients. And I think we attract a lot of birth workers, but we're definitely more patient based. So we're very much into empowering moms, getting them prepared for their birth, but also getting them excited for their birth. That's a big one that I think I really focus on in particularly is taking people from that. Oh, I'm really anxious about this event to I can do this. This is going to be great. I've prepared. I feel ready and I feel excited going into this. Of course, there's going to be some nerves like anything else, but we really strive to make that shift of like anxious to excitement. So, yeah. And one of the things I love about the work you do is you take the things that would be scary or the big unknowns of birth and you break them down and basically teach people how they can cope with that if that happens. So yeah. one of the big ones I wanted you to talk with our listeners about is car births, aka Ooh. having a baby in the car on the way to the hospital. And I know that is a fear of a lot of families, particularly partners, you know, they're worried yeah. about, well, I have to deliver the baby. If you're trying to like uh, face that fear head on and be like, all right, this is what I would do if this happened. What are some of the most important things you want families to know about car births? Yeah, ooh, car birth. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a reel about this a couple of months back with it was me and my sister in the car and we were laughing as we were as we were recording it because it's you know, it's she's not pregnant. No, but it just So you was were like goofy. acting out a car birth? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We were acting it out. Yeah, it was great. But yeah, it's definitely uh you're Most people aren't laughing if it actually happens to them. It can be quite scary and quite nerve wracking. So going into it, yeah, I would say that's a big one is if you've had, and most of the time these are moms who they've had births before and they went quicker than they anticipated. And so maybe they live a little bit further than the hospital and they're like, oh my God, I don't even know what I would do if I give birth in the car. Like walk me through this. I would say most first time moms don't give birth in the car, but Hey, this is for first time moms too, because you never know it can happen. Right. Birth Mm -hmm. is very unpredictable, but we'll go over the reel to like basically what I said in the reel broke it down very, very like short and quick and to the point, but basically partner. Okay. Focus on driving. Okay. But if your wife, it looks, or, you know, partner, whoever is starting to push a baby out, pull over, stop driving. Don't start to drive faster. Okay. (laughs) Very important. Pull over, put on your hazards. Okay. Uh, call number one and just have them on speakerphone, okay? And then find some sort of like blanket, clothing, something to put over the baby uh, once the baby's born because we want to try and keep baby warm. For mom, stay calm, right? I mean, that's easier said than done. But hey, there's usually when people give birth in the car, there's not a whole lot you can do to like prolong the process and stop the process. So it's more just accepting, Hey, this is happening. How can I make this happen faster? So it's over and stay safe in the process. (laughs) So 
Your baby's probably kind of come out very, very quickly. Okay, go ahead and remove if you have pants on, right? <laughs> like take your, your pants off and everything. Expect a whole lot of fluid to come out of you. It's gonna be a very messy process. Lots of blood, lots of fluid. Once baby comes out, most important thing to do is shake baby, put baby skin to skin. Okay, and just take that. If, you, if some, you know, your partner found that blanket, put that blanket over baby. Or if you can't find a blanket, just stick the baby like kind of inside your shirt. If you have a shirt on or a dress or something, that'll do as well. But a blanket, even better. But yeah, skin to skin, that's number one. Um, as far as the umbilical cord, this is a big like misconception. I think a lot of people have is like, oh my God, what do I do with the umbilical cord? I have to cut the umbilical cord and I don't know how. And just leave it. Don't worry about it. It'll it'll clot off itself. Guess what? Some people don't even cut their baby's umbilical cord. It's called a lotus birth and they just don't do anything with it. So it'll clot itself off. Don't worry. You don't have to find a sterile scissors and boil some water and don't worry. OK, so leave the umbilical cord be. The other thing that might come out is your placenta. Now, a lot of times I would say if you've called 911, if you've pulled over, Emergency services is going to be getting there pretty quickly. So usually, honestly, these people who give birth in the car, they come up to the hospital and their placenta either came out in the ambulance or they delivered their placenta at the car. But just in case that happens, sometimes they do come out rather quick and you see like a big gush of blood and then your placenta comes out and it kind of just feels, you know, you feel some pressure down there and it just mm -hmm. kind of delivers itself. But you can expect that to happen, you know, usually somewhere five to 30 minutes after birth. This isn't something that, hey, I took a birth course and uh, they taught me how to give birth in the car. Like this obviously isn't something that we're expecting to happen. So it's gonna be really, really overwhelming when it happens. But like I said, most important thing, stay safe. You can do it. Usually these births, like I said, happen very quick. The babies come out and they're fine. Because people, um, if they're having a car birth, it's usually because the baby's coming so fast yes. that you just can't stop it. It's like a reflex. Yeah, yeah it's like a reflex. Exactly. So mm -hmm. yeah, like I said, if it's your, if it's your first baby, uh, usually first babies don't come out in the car, but you never know. It's happened before for sure. But these are usually the moms who have had babies before and they've gone a little bit quicker than anticipated. And then they end up delivering their babies in the car. I just had a friend the other day who had her baby in the car and she mm -hmm. was in the back of her husband's work truck, like just, yeah. And she, I mean, she didn't live that far from the hospital, but you know, her first one wasn't a super quick process, but she had a baby two years ago. And then her second one, she went into labor and Hey, her baby girl decided to come out in the car. So like I said, it can be overwhelming and not something <laughs> you anticipated, but it's okay. It's going to so happen. It's uncommon, I think, yes. is one way you can reassure yourself. Yeah. And then you can also reassure yourself where if it does happen, it was probably just meant to happen really fast. That was how exactly. that baby was going to come out. Yeah. And you didn't do anything wrong to mm -hmm. like get to the hospital quicker. Your baby yeah. just decided it wanted the car to be their birthplace. That and was so what they as a labor and delivery nurse, like I'm sure you've met some of those families at the entrance who've had a car birth. What, what's usually their reaction? Are they, you know, in shock? Or are they laughing because it was hilarious? Like what, what is the typical reaction? I'd say about half and half and sometimes both, you know, they're kind of in shock and they're laughing at the same time. I would say most people are probably 
in shock. Most partners are very much in shock and they're not laughing. <laughs> Maybe they'll laugh about it later, but they're very much like shell shocked of the experience. But moms, I would say, yeah, it's about half and half. Like maybe the mom has had quick births before and she's like, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. I, I was trying to leave earlier than I did, but it, you know, it happens. So yeah, it's usually a mix between like the wide eyes coming in like, oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. Like, can you believe that this just happened? And they're, they're just like bewildered, you know, or they're, they're laughing or they're like, I sh should have left earlier. I told you, told you should have left earlier. <laughs> so with car births, I think what I've found is it's really interesting that there's kind of this disconnect between what people worry about and then like real life. Mm -hmm. So for example, a lot of people really do stress out about the possibility of a car birth. And I'm so glad you covered it because we haven't covered it on the podcast before. Cause sometimes just knowing that you can do it yeah. makes it easier. But are there any other examples of where, you know, you see families have knowledge gaps where they don't quite know what they don't know? Hmm. I would say, so whenever people ask me this question, I always think of breastfeeding. There's a learning curve, I would say to breastfeeding. So personally, a hundred percent, I didn't prepare for breastfeeding with my first one like I did with my birth experience. So yeah, I would say there's definitely a gap uh, just with breastfeeding education in general, pumping education in general. I'm trying to think of like other birth related things, but I mean, gosh, it, it really just depends on the situation. Car birth. Yeah. Breastfeeding, pumping, I'm trying to think of other things, but yeah. And, and what are some of the, the common myths about birth and pregnancy that you work to dispel and the mommy labor nurse platform? Yeah. I think a big one out there that I'm really, really passionate about is something there's an organization called push pregnancy that came out last year, two years ago now, and they're doing a lot of work to reduce uh, stillbirth. And so there's a big, big myth out there that your baby will move less as it gets bigger because your baby's moving, running out of room. Okay. So I love to educate people about that, that, Hey, if your provider ever told you that your, you know, your baby's running out of room. It, it's okay. Like they're not going to be moving as much. That's not true. Your baby should still be having movements, daily movements. You shouldn't know, you know, if you do notice changes, it's very, very important to call your provider and get checked up on baby. That's a big one. I mean, I've, I remember seeing like a YouTube video a couple of years ago from like a big influencer. And she said that on her video, like, oh yeah, my doctor said that as I'm getting bigger now, you know, the baby's like running out of room. So like, and it's like, I mean, I typed a comment, but I'm like, can I just put this at, like, don't say that. Don't say that. That's not true. That is not true. Like we need to be aware of our baby's movements. Another really, really big one is the whole, you know, my baby's too big for my pelvis. And I, you know, my provider told me that my baby's too big and I have to have a C-section. That one is very common in my DMs. I'll get people asking about, hey, you know, my, I had a growth scan and my provider said, oh, the baby's looking like it's going to be, you know, eight or nine pounds. Like, why don't we just schedule a C-section? And it's just, there's a huge myth that the size of your baby, like, is the most important factor 
in having a successful vaginal delivery. I think it's, that's all people think about is like, oh, have, but people give birth to, I've seen an 11 pound baby come out of somebody. It wasn't fun for her, but it came out and people can have big babies vaginally. So that's definitely another big one I would say too. Another one is something that I already talked about is that your partner doesn't need birth education because they're not going through the experience. <laughs> Definitely believe that one for myself, like I said, with my first birth. But yeah, they do. They're in the room and they're not experiencing it themselves, but they can do such a good job of supporting you and feel like they're involved in the process. So your birth partner, whoever it may be, if it's your husband, your you know, your partner, if it's your mom, if it's whoever, they can get birth education too. And, you know, if they are educated, that can help them help you have a better birth experience too. Mm -hmm. So partner education, very, 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 very important. And then I would say lastly, that there's just a big myth out there that birth education just isn't necessary, like for anybody. I think a lot of people here in the U.S. at least think it's more not a luxury, but it's just, it's not standard. You know, I wish it were making strides toward like standardizing it in, mm -hmm. in the U.S., but it's not just thought of as like, this is something that I do in my prenatal care is I take a birth class and I educate myself about birth. No, it's like something that is extra that I do. So we would really like to dispel that myth and hopefully eventually have some policy changes out there to where insurance companies, you know, they cover birth classes, get Medicaid involved, all of mm -hmm. that good stuff. We really, really are passionate about that takes a good bit of work, obviously, but that's really what we're aiming for is to let people know that, hey, birth education is important. There are studies out there that show the positive impact. I wish there were more studies out there that show the positive impact of birth education and it needs to be standardized in prenatal care. Everybody can benefit from birth mm -hmm. education. Yeah. So kit counting and the importance of that, which we covered in episode 243 and our guest on that podcast from with Stephanie Moody of Count the Kicks was, yeah, she said the same thing about the myth that babies run out of room. And I had not realized that that myth is being perpetuated still. Yeah. Yeah. So a very important podcast. If you want to learn more about that big babies, which we talk a lot about at EBB and then partners needing education and childbirth education being very necessary mm -hmm. with your clients. When you work at the bedside as a nurse, so I think you have a really unique position because you're teaching so many families online and then you're also in the hospital, you think, admitting patients mm -hmm. and helping them, being with them through birth. What are some of the things you've noticed as a nurse? Like what, what families seem to be the most prepared or have the most support? Yeah, so families who have started the education process, you know, before stepping foot in the door and that is something that I witnessed before I even had my first son of somebody would come in and say, I really want to go unmedicated. Right. And I would say, Oh, did you take a birth class or did you do any education about it? No, but I have a high pain tolerance. And it's like, Oh, okay. I will teach you as much as I can right now. We'll get through this. I will help you as much as I can, but gosh, I wish I could get you when you're like 30 weeks pregnant and just really like, give you all the information that you need to feel empowered and 
educated about this process. So I would say, yeah, 100%. The people who come in and have, you know, obviously, I can't say if you have take a birth class, your birth experience is 100% going to be more positive, right? You can't say that, but you have a higher likelihood of having, I would say, a positive birth experience. And it makes such a difference. You know, let's say something quote unquote traumatic did happen during your birth. Unexpected, we'll say it happened during your birth. If you learned about it in a birth class or you saw, you know, you heard a podcast of somebody talking about it. It's your experience coming away from that is going to be so much different in terms of what you, how you view that, whether you view it as traumatic or not. So that's what we're about. You know, we want to not sugarcoat stuff and tell people about what to expect when, you know, if you have a shoulder dystocia or if you have a hemorrhage and we want to get these things in people's heads, not to scare them, but just to prepare them for if it happens, you know, Mm -hmm. because because things happen. Mm-hmm. A couple times a year, I talk with high schoolers about birth, and it's always fascinating to me when they say, "Like, why isn't this taught to everybody my age?" And mm-hmm. we talk about how birth used to be done. Like, if you could like rewind the clock five hundred years or so, I would say, "Who would be with you at your birth?" And they look at me with these blank expressions, like, "I have no idea." And I say. Mm-hmm your relatives in the village would surround you and you would have grown up seeing birth and supporting people at birth. And you'd be surrounded by the other women and folks in your family who knew how to support birth Mm -hmm. and people giving birth. And they're like, Oh, and I'm like, see, we have this big disconnect because have any of you seen a birth before? And they almost always say no. Occasionally there's someone who as a teenager, their mom had another baby and they mm-hmm. got to witness that or maybe a sister, but it's pretty rare. Most of the time, none of them have seen a birth themselves. Their family members have not seen anybody else's other than when they gave birth. And so there's that kind of gap when we moved birth right. into the hospital of kind of taking away that knowledge that we used to carry as communities. You're right. It becomes more of like an unknown process yeah. rather than this is just what people do. They give birth. This is birth just part of life. Yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. So is there anything else as a nurse that, and a childbirth educator that you wished people had more awareness of or should educate themselves about more when they walk into, before they walk into the hospital? Yeah. So let's see, we've covered, you know, birth education, right? Yeah. But that kind of is an umbrella term almost, where it's very generalized. And yeah, and you, very, there's different qualities of yeah. birth preparation classes. Right, right. We're very focused on tailored birth education too. I think that's where we've done a really good job and we've seen the benefit of, you know, educating moms who are having primary C-sections or they're, you know, they're having a, a scheduled C-section. They can benefit from uh, birth education as well. That's a really good one. Hey, like just because you have a scheduled C-section doesn't mean that you, you know, there's nothing to learn about how a C-section goes or what your recovery is like. I think that's a, that's a really big misconception I'll say for C-section moms, but also just moms who come in and they want to go unmedicated, it's a little bit more understood that, oh, hey, you know, it's important to prepare for this experience. But 
if you're coming in and having, you know, you want an epidural, you don't have to take a birth class. That is so untrue. No, we need to educate moms who plan on getting epidurals as well. So yeah, I would say C-section moms for sure. Moms who have, you know, epidurals, there's a whole lot to learn. I had one in my head and it's gone now. Oh, postpartum care. That's a really, really big one that just goes under the wayside. We, I think hospital-based education classes are very generalized, you know, and they do an okay job of doing hands-on stuff, obviously, but they do an okay job of doing newborn education, but they don't do such a great job with postpartum recovery and what is going on with you and your body and your your recovery process, because that is, I mean, if you ask anybody, I think anybody would say, oh, yeah, I was very, very underprepared for just what the heck happened during my postpartum experience. So that's a big one. I think we just I mean, we still have a lot of work to do in just preparing people for postpartum because that is I mean, birth is an event, right? And it's it's a concentrated event. But postpartum is this long, you know, like breastfeeding, it's this long, you know, process over a few weeks. And there's a lot of stuff that happens to your body. And just, you know, that's a we talk about postpartum, obviously, in our birth courses. And we're really, really passionate about that as well. But that's something that a lot of just hospital based birth classes and just, just I think, you know, society in general just doesn't talk about postpartum bodies and what happens and what that time period is like enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking back to when I was pregnant with my first in my, the hospital birthing class I took, I think they did discuss postpartum, but basically all they talked about was the bleeding. Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's, there's so much more. Yeah. Well, it is a big part of it. Like, I, you know, to be honest, like preparing and understanding it- that your body's going to go through that. Right. But the, everything else, the mental health, the physical health, everything you need to know to kind of survive that period is, is left to the wayside. And I love how your Instagram page especially has a lot of posts about postpartum in addition to birthing and pregnancy and all of that. So it's like really a well-rounded page. And I, I had a question, you mentioned epidurals. So Mm -hmm. I think that is a common misconception too, that if you're just planning on getting an epidural, you don't need to prepare for anything as an L&D nurse who's also an educator, what are some tips you have for families who are planning on using the epidural as their primary form of pain management? Yeah. So number one, obviously I've already said it, but take a, still can benefit from, go ahead um, and take a birth class. Go ahead and take a birth class. Number one, um, you don't have to, you know, skip over that. You can still definitely learn things because guess what? Sometimes moms who come in and want epidurals, they have their babies in the car or right, or they go a little bit too quick and they don't get their epidurals and they, there are, they need pain coping techniques and they need to be prepared for the mm-hmm. likelihood that that definitely might happen. A big thing that I educate my epidural moms about is that you still need pain coping techniques, not just because you might not get your epidural, but Hey, just because you get an epidural doesn't mean you're probably going to have contractions before you have that, have that epidural. So don't you yeah. want some pain coping techniques to kind of get through your contractions before you get your epidural? So that's a big one. And we talk about a lot about side effects that people aren't aware of, like blood pressure dips and hey, some, you know, epidurals aren't 
perfect. They sometimes can be one-sided. And hey, guess what? If your epidural is not to your standard, let your nurse know. Talk about it. Don't just sit there and say, oh, okay, this is what it, we want to help. If there's something I can do to help you have a better experience with your epidural, absolutely, I will. Obviously, epidurals, they can't take away that pressure like pain from the baby's head. And that's a really big one that I cover in the classes that, hey, just because you get an epidural, it's designed to take away contraction pain. But once your baby's descending in your pelvis, you're probably you will, still you will feel you're still going to feel that. Yeah. And it can be uncomfortable. It can be painful. So again, hey, we need to you know be talking about some pain coping techniques as well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. hey, this is what happens. So yeah, the pressure versus the pain. And yeah, just speaking up to your nurse and saying, hey, this one side isn't isn't numb yet. Or hey, I can still feel my contraction pain. Like what's going on? Because if I don't know, then I can't help you, you know, so that's I mean, yeah. That's for everything, right? So it's really important to speak up if something's not going the way you anticipate it because, yeah, your nurse, we can't help you unless we don't know. Mm-hmm. One of the things I talk with parents a lot about is the importance of positioning when you have an epidural yes. and not just lying on your back the whole time, but using preferably peanut balls to get into better positions for the baby to descend and come down through your pelvis. Do you find that in... The hospital are nurses proactively offering peanut balls or do parents have to ask for them? So I have it in the courses to say if your nurse is not actively changing your position to mm-hmm. speak about it and, and ask for a peanut ball. But I would say, I mean, I'm blessed that I work at a really great hospital and we're very just I mean, it's a teaching hospital and our nurses are very very well equipped with like understanding that you need to still move your patient after you get an epidural. So I would say generally most nurses do use peanut balls or we get the, you know, the stirrup up and we, you know, put their leg on, on the stirrup and have the, I mean, there's so many different positions that you can do with an epidural that a lot of people think, oh, I just have to lie on my back. No, we can get you on hands and knees. We can squat. You know, I can't stand you up and have you run around the room, but we can do a lot. I mean, we can basically do almost everything in the bed that you would think that you can do out of the bed. We can do it in the bed. And it's really important to be moving because part of what your body does when you go unmedicated is your body's naturally moving to ease that pain. And that helps to descend baby and get baby further in your pelvis. So once you get an epidural, you know, you're taking away that pain. So there's this disconnect of like, oh, I don't have to be moving anymore. So you have to be really purposeful about moving. So your baby's still descending. So yeah, very, very, very important to still be moving for sure. And I love how your podcast has a lot of episode options about pain management in labor. And I saw one of your most recent episodes, 197 is about other pharmaceutical pain options if you don't want an epidural, but you still need yeah. something that's not, that is a medication. So I encourage our listeners to to check out your podcast and Thank your you. Instagram page. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Yeah. So we have a lot of really great resources on our page over at Mommy Labor Nurse. You can go to our website, mommylabornurse.com. We've got you know, our online classes out there, but we have tons and tons of blog articles. You can just click on blog and they're categorized very, very well. They go into 
great, you know, depths of, of whatever subject you're searching for. Our Instagram, you know, obviously is a little bit harder to to categorize. Um, but our Instagram has a ton of really great free, you know, Instagram is free, right? You can just go on there and just scroll videos and learn. We've got lots of checklists. So I've got a hospital uh, bag checklist. I've got our free mini birth class, but it's a little birth class that you can sign up for. It's called three secrets to an even better birth. So we talk about movement. We talk, I'm not going to give you away the three secrets, right? Cause that's why it's called secrets, but it's a little mini birth class. That's about an hour long that you can sign up for and get a little bit of birth education because we know that not everybody has the means to sign up and pay money for a birth course. And like I said, we're trying to change that. I really wish I didn't, you know, have to charge a dime and I could just educate everybody for free. But until we get those policy changes in place, it's tough. You know, you have to charge for services. But yeah, we have a lot of free resources on our website and you can still learn a lot, a lot of stuff for free, for sure. Yeah. And I love that you have lots of checklists, like a first trimester, second trimester, and third trimester checklist on the website. So make sure you go to the website and check out all the different resources that Liesl has. And Liesl, thank you so much for everything you do to educate families and all the hard work you've done the last few years. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. And I will say one more thing. You can check out my interview on the mommy labor nurse, where I talk about natural labor induction methods. So you can check, head out to Liesl's podcast to check out that interview as well. Thanks everyone. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Today's podcast was brought to you by the Evidence-Based Birth Professional Membership. The free articles and podcasts we provide to the public are supported by our professional membership program at Evidence-Based Birth. Our members are professionals in the childbirth field who are committed to being change agents in their community. Professional members at EBB get access to continuing education courses with up to 23 contact hours, live monthly training sessions, an exclusive library of printer-friendly PDFs to share with your clients, and a supportive community for asking questions and sharing challenges, struggles, and success stories. We offer monthly and annual plans, as well as scholarships for students and for people of color. To learn more, visit ebbirth.com membership.